Welcome to Knit, Design, Edit, Sleep, Repeat with Lisa Conway and Denise Finley. Let's listen in and see what's happening, who's happening, and what's new in their world. Today we are really happy to be speaking with Jill Walcott of Jill Walcott Knits. We talk about her life as a designer. Well, good morning, or good actually good afternoon. Uh, Denise, I would like you to meet Jill Walcott. Uh, I have been kind of introduced to Jill through her grading class, which I plan on taking here shortly. But Denise, take it away. Well, good afternoon, Lisa and Jill. It is so good to meet you. We are excited to have you on this podcast to learn a little bit about what you've been doing lately. I would really like to hear kind of your design story. So if you could, you could answer just a couple of our W's, maybe when and why you started designing. Okay, so when I probably started designing when I was about four years old, um, I, I literally have been designing as long as I can remember. And I used to draw princesses. And um, I think that was the beginning. I remember getting a little bit of a, a toy sewing machine and sewing clothes. My mom was a sewer. My grandmother was a seamstress. And I come from a line of creative people. And so I ended up going first to technical school where I learned um, pattern grading and manufacturing garment construction um, in my late 20s. And I'd always wanted to design, but I was I did not have the self-confidence to do it. So I worked for a while and then I decided to go back to school. I started sewing when I was eight and I remember still vividly making a dress. I think it was for the fifth grade. It was red poplin with white poplin collar and cuffs. It was a shirt dress and let me tell you, as a young person sewing red top stitching on white created some tears. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I remember at one point saying to my mother, why do they call the pattern simplicity? <laughs> <laughs> I think I asked my mom the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, I think we can all relate. <laughs> yeah, so I have been doing this um always and whether i was you know dressing my dolls and eventually i dressed myself i went to technical school then i decided that i probably didn't really want to sit at a sewing machine and was not sure i wanted to do pattern drafting so i went and got a four-year degree in um fashion design, and a second degree in fashion merchandising. So that's my background. Um, that's very interesting that you were as about the same age I was when I started sewing. Yeah. 
I think so many little girls did that back then. Yeah. And my mom was a, a designer, actually, and, a, and a, an excellent seamstress. So uh, that background is similar. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to be as good as my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so your, your why that you started designing, you mentioned um, not wanting to sit at a drafting board and other things. Was there anything else more um, inside of you that wanted to come out? Like you always had something, it was a passion. So I will tell you that this is an avocation. This is not something... I can choose not to do. Um, mm -hmm. It is who I am. Um, I am always designing. Um, I always have. And I think once I got enough feeling that I had skills that I could stand on, then I was ready to do it. And, um, I've almost always worked for myself. I'm not really kind of a corporate gal. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. <laughs> and um, in, I think, 1992, my husband and I moved away from Seattle. And I couldn't find a job. And I eventually made my way to machine knitting, which seemed like a good thing to do. I was just fascinated by being able to create the fabric. And so what I always tell people is that how knitting captured me and stole me from sewing was that I could create both the shape and the fabric and do it simultaneously. And, you know, mm. I think I am so lucky to get to do this. And so this process is basically just who you are. It is who I am. And, you know, so when I introduce myself, I always say I am Jill Wolcott of Jill Wolcott Nets. So I am my business. And Excellent. Yeah. Lisa? Who do you like to design for, Jill? That's Since you have done this for so much of your life, do you focus on things that you would want to wear or do you think of design in terms of the the global picture or the fashion design industry so i always am thinking about fashion that was my first passion and i haven't let go of it i mean i still dress every day like i'm going to an office because i just really like to do it I, I would say that I design for someone like me, but not necessarily me. Um, I have always specialized in garments, and I kind of challenged myself a few years ago to do accessories because no one was knitting garments. And um, I found that to be pretty fun once I started doing it. I will often provide challenges for myself, like, can you make something out of a limited quantity of yarn? Or, um, yeah, just lots of different things that are interesting to me, and they aren't necessarily interesting in the same way to the knitter, but I do think I design beautiful things. I would say that I 
design more for a higher end market. Um, somebody who's interested in fashion, but I also believe that because of my design background, that if it took you three years to finish one of my garments, you would still love it when you got done. And I've seen on your Instagram, for example, that you don't do a lot of knitting your, for yourself. <laughs> I actually, I knit every day and I knit probably for a solid two hours every evening. Um, my husband operates the remote control so that I can just focus on knitting. And um, We are alike in that one. Yeah. <laughs> but I found probably... Oh, I want to say like in 2004, 2005, that I had so many ideas and that I was not a good sample knitter. Um, that A, I care about the process. I don't care about ever finishing anything. And once I've solved all the problems, I'm kind of done. And um, that it wasn't a really good use of my time. So at that point, I hired a knitter, and I've been working with one ever since. Interesting. I think, Denise, you've got a question that might go along with that. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was looking up something. <laughs> I was looking up Jill Wilcott. Um, <laughs> Gee, you were supposed to have done that before now. <laughs> I, I had an hour, Lisa. <laughs> Do you, here's the thing. It's a question that we ask a lot of the people that uh, we interview for mm -hmm. our show. Um, do you ever knit other people's designs? And if you do or don't, why or why not? Okay, so I don't very often. So what I tend to do is I try either in November or December of every year, I try to knit something from somebody else. Um and it's because there's lots of gift along things going on and, you know, people are like focused on their knitting. So I feel like I have a little bit of time to take focus away from what I'm doing. I tend to not like other people's patterns. <laughs> and for a couple Is there anything of, specific you yeah, can say about I'm that? Yeah, I'm going to give you the, the reasons why. And I okay. have a very specific way that I do my patterns because I have a form of dyslexia that makes it impossible for me to easily read regular knitting charts. And so I created a system that I call action charts where the symbol tells you what you're doing regardless of what side you're on. So a pearl is always a pearl, and it doesn't matter whether you're on the right side or the wrong side. Um, so if I knit somebody else's patterns, I have to use their system. I also tend to be, as you've probably already guessed, wordy. <laughs> no, I don't recognize a soulmate when I see her. So I give much more. I'd like if if somebody says reverse the shaping, I just feel like they just bailed on me, and <laughs> that I love it. There is no reason why I should have to do that myself in my head 
because Thank that you. means I have to go and do it because I can't do it in my head because of the way my brain works. So I write out all of my instructions. Um, I give a lot of information. I'm, you know, a teacher at heart, so I'm introducing new techniques. I have figured out the best possible way to do everything. Um, I try to make it so that you can do everything possible on the needles because who wants to sew something together? And I do charts. Um, I do shaping charts. So if you're working in pattern, you can see what happens to the pattern as you're working along. So I have trouble with other people's patterns because I feel like they are requiring me to do more of the work than, than I want to when I don't know what's in their head. You know, can I make an observation here? Sure. Just real quick. Um, I think... In my mind, I don't, I don't have that dyslexia that you do. My son does, but I don't have that, I don't think. But I am an author, so I'm very wordy, and I like things explained to me in detail. But I think sometimes the patterns that I have seen, especially recently, they're almost like they're in shorthand. Oh, yeah. And, okay. I mean, I, I actually put in articles, and, you know, my sentences tend to be complete. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, but I also realize that I am, um, well, a couple of things. So, A, we've already talked about this generally, generationally, you know, I came from probably the last generation where girls learned mm -hmm. the home arts. Um, yep. So I've got a lot of information that I know. And... I don't like it if I have to get up off the couch when I'm knitting to go figure something out. Or to go get a book that explains exactly. it. <laughs> so I put everything in my patterns. I explain the techniques. I, you know, everything's hyperlinked. So, you know, if you want to know mm -hmm. what I mean by flexible long tail cast on, it will take you to where I've explained it in writing, which will then take you, you can go look at a video if you want. I set out a lot of my pattern information in tables so that you mm. basically you're working like sections that match your knitting and you can put markers in because mm -hmm. I knit in front of the TV and I'm often reading <laughs> subtitles and literally what I want is to have the pattern on the couch next to be, be able to look down, see what I'm supposed to do and to carry on. Now, to be fair, Lisa did a pattern recently, and her pattern was set up that way, Lisa, right? You had the links in there, and you had everything that you needed, and it was all neatly packed in one little pattern. Well, I, I tried to do that. I was sitting here wondering two things. First, do you ever teach how your method of pattern writing? Well, you know, I've just been thinking about that. So I have always just like not been willing to fight the fight that we could do better. And um, I'm kind of deciding that <laughs> maybe I am interested in fighting that fight. Well, <laughs> I think, I think Jill, what I'm seeing as a tech editor is more interest to do more what you're talking about. Right. Hmm. Where interesting. We're writing out, all of the instructions as a tech editor, it's, 
a balancing act on my part to help the designer create a pattern that is clear. Yes. But we usually also add the word concise. And yet in today's market, where you're not having to worry about that limited print space, right. we can write things out more completely without affecting the end product, you know, the end pattern product. So it would be really interesting to me to learn more about your pattern writing process so that maybe I could share that information with designers I work with and say, you know, maybe if we put it in a table, yeah, maybe if we did this or did that, it would make it more readable for a larger audience because a big interest of mine, thanks to a situation Denise has found herself in, is accessible pattern writing and making patterns for the dyslexic, making pattern for the vision impaired, making patterns for people who can't necessarily utilize the traditional charts or yeah. uh, abbreviated row instructions. Yeah. Hey, Lisa, how about making a pattern for people who love words yeah. like this author? <laughs> Hello, oh, Denise, I'm your gal. I'm looking at a pattern right now and... You know, so so this is not at all unusual. It has a fully written pattern um, in fingering weight for this shawl. And then there's a pattern that goes with a calculator. So you could do it in another weight of yarn um, using the calculator. And um, this pattern is in draft stage still, and it's 28 pages long. See, I'm editing a book right now, and I can tell you, I'm, I've written several books, okay, and I've finished a series, and now I'm re-editing them and republishing them during significant dates this year, and I've just finished, well, I'm, I'm in the middle of editing book three of this one series, and I'm thinking to myself in my head, man, that's, that's a lot of words, and I'm like, I don't care, it's my book. Yeah, and so I've been basic, I mean, my style has gotten larger because when I first started doing this we didn't put charts in the patterns and we didn't kind of I didn't put as much background in now so now like every section kind of says we're going to do this here here's the things to look out for now go and um, so my patterns have gotten longer um, but we also moved from print to digital. Everything in my patterns is hyperlinked, so you can jump around pretty easily. And um, I really think that we're still trapped in kind of a print world. They, the only reason patterns were written the way they were written was because it fit into the column situation that they had in magazines um and the other thing which i alluded to at the very beginning of this was people don't have the background anymore so you might not necessarily know all the things because you just decided when you were 33 that you were going to learn to knit and you learned 
through YouTube or you went to your local yarn shop or whatever, but you don't have this vast background. And so I'm trying to provide some of that. Um, and without, not to say that everything used to be so much better because my mother learned to knit when she was eight. I was 30 or she was 32 when I was born. And so about the same I, about the time I was 32, I taught her something other than that slingshot or, you know, over your thumb cast on. She had right. always done that and did not mm -hmm. know of anything else. So she used to say she learned more after I started doing this than she had in all <laughs> of her previous years. I was sitting at my mother's home knitting a sweater and... I had not, I, it was a color work sweater and I hadn't done any of my ends in. I finished the sweater and turned it wrong side out to start. Well, actually I was knitting it wrong side out because I knit Portuguese when I do stranded. So I had started to weave in the ends and my mother said, well, why didn't you knit those in, you know, yeah. the, the way I taught you to when you were a kid. And it was like, because I can make it look neater this way. <laughs> And, but she had no clue that you could weave the ends in afterwards. Yeah, I don't recall my mother ever finishing a sweater. I mean, she always knit the sweater and took the pieces down to the local yarn shop and the ladies there put it together for her. My mom did the same thing. Yeah. It was called sit and knit. I'll yeah. never forget it. I was probably two when she started dragging me there, you know? So, so <laughs> grew up yeah, things were different. Um and I remember wanting to learn to put things together. And because probably at this point, the yarn shop didn't exist anymore. And sending away to Vogue Knitting for an instruction booklet that they had. And they were literally having you backstitch the seams together. They did not know about mattress stitch yet. Oh my! Wow. Yeah, it, we've been through a lot in our life. Yeah, so the the yeah. computer has opened the world of knitting incredibly, but um, there are areas where I think we could certainly advance a lot more, and I'm really interested in those. I love designers that push the envelope a little bit. Oh, that's me. <laughs> and yet, uh. I also love the designer who pushes the envelope by looking backwards. Yeah. I am part of a group that got very interested in the history of double knitting. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing this collective research and the first book or print reference that we could find to anything close to it was a book called uh, Two Color Reversible Knitting by Jane Neighbors. Uh -huh. was written in the 70s, I think yeah. 74. And one of the members of the group has recently designed a shawl that utilizes knowledge that she gained from that book, but in such a unique and new way that it's created a completely different look and and stitch basically yeah. so I love that 
where do you find your inspiration? She got hers from this book. Where do you find yours? So the first time that I really seriously talked about my life as a designer, I was asked that exact question. I had to do a um, presentation to a knitting guild. And so at that point, I was younger and um, the internet was way younger. Um, so I, one of my primary resources was Women's Wear Daily, which is a trade publication for the fashion industry. So I got that every day or every weekday. And, um, you know, I read fashion magazines and just every, to me, everything can be inspiring. You know, you I love flowers, you know, so sometimes a flower might inspire something. I have stitch pattern dictionaries, you know, I look at those. Um, I am often, I look through fashion magazines and see shapes and then think, how can I do that in knitting? And um, how can I create a fabric that will make this possible? So everything inspires me. Sometimes it's what I'm reading. Um, I would say I'm less of a, I see something and it inspires me as I have, I am constantly taking things in and I just have stuff available all the time. Um, never at a loss for an idea. <laughs> I, I envy people who are who look at things around them and just automatically translate it into that creative process yeah and part of it is training you know I mean I, I went to school and learned how to do this and then um, after or in 2000 I started teaching at FIDM in San Francisco, and I taught design, and I taught technical design, which is, you know, like, how do you create multiple sizes, that sort of thing. And then I moved on to creating collections and teaching portfolio classes. So I was helping people translate their vision of what they wanted to show into at that point it was still print um so i had a lot of opportunities to try out my ideas in different ways and i would say my ideas are always really good except for the occasional <laughs> clunker <laughs> well that kind of leads me into a question that i had come up with in reading your bio and could you please tell me what FIDM oh, stands for? Oh, it's the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. And it's a West Coast school based mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. They, I think they have campuses in San Diego and San Francisco and I want to say, oh, Orange County. So they are primarily um, servicing the West Coast fashion industry um and yeah it's you know it's a for-profit school because no longer are there schools 
that aren't for profit that teach women how to do things that they might want to do. Um, and, you know, while I have problems with that, I always felt that um, everything I taught my students was useful in another industry if they were not able to get into the fashion industry. Interesting. Very interesting. Let's talk a little bit about what classes you still teach. Okay. Well, you know, we, so I moved back to Seattle in 2016 and therefore quit teaching in San Francisco. And so now I teach primarily my grading class, which is called a system of grading. And it's, I call it a system because I kind of don't teach anything without a lot of overlaps and no one likes to grade. I will tell you that um, it's burdensome and really math heavy. Um, and I was taught how to do it in a spreadsheet by a friend of mine. Many unkind words were spoken while I learned <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> and, That'd be me. And this was actually, we did it over the phone. <laughs> um, so we would both have our spreadsheets open and she would say, okay, on row 45, you need to put this formula in. And um, so it was kind of a painful learning situation, <laughs> but mostly painful because I don't like the rigidity of Excel. Um but Excel is so good at what it does. So I took what Jean taught me and I used it on my own for several years. And then I realized that not only did it solve my grading problems, but it also helped me. It, it helped give me more time to be creative, basically. So you invest a whole ton of time in setting these things up, but then it started opening new doors. So I my grading class starts with grading a cowl, which people think like, oh, really? You're going to make me grade a cowl? How stupid is that? Well, let me tell you, it's a very comfortable place to start. <laughs> <laughs> and we end with a fitted cardigan with set-in sleeves. And so we cover a ton of territory in 15 sessions. It's very intense. I, Because it's so intense, I allow people to audit the class after they've taken it so they can come back and, you know, relearn something or expand their knowledge about something because it's very hard to take in everything at once. Um, I've never gotten around to creating all of the other ancillary classes, which I would love to do. Like, how do you grade a one piece garment, you know, that has sleeves and body together? How do you do different necklines, that sort of thing? Um, because then I, after teaching the class, I tend to get distracted by my need to design because I've been so focused on numbers. Um, so I would really love to teach a class on how to be a creative person. Um, because I think that that is 
something that we don't teach anybody, and it's much more difficult than it may look. <laughs> don't try this at home. Sign me up. <laughs> and um, I have, I think, lived a very satisfying creative life. I have not made any money. Um, so <laughs> neither is my son. He's an artist. Yeah, yeah I get it. So, um, you know, I taught because it, they paid me to do it. Um, <laughs> and turned out I was really, really good at it because I'm very analytical. I watch myself do things so I could tell my students how I got through things. Um, and so I would love to do a course on just how to be a creative designer, whatever you want to do, um, because it requires a fair amount of energy um, to just exist in a world that really looks at money. I, as I said, I was thinking about doing a class on my crazy way of writing patterns. Um, that would be interesting. Very interesting. I'm really, really, really interested in sizing and not just sizing as the fashion world sees it, but spent the last couple of years just thinking about how the skeleton creates basically our stature and then all the things that go on top of that. So, you know, we've got our basic skin and our organs and tissue underneath that. And then our genetics are the hormones that course through our mm. bodies, the food we eat, the environment we live in. <clears throat> all these things make us non-standard and standard sizing, whether it's plus sizing or regular sizing is just a bunch of averages. It's as mythical as, you know, 36, 24, 36 is. Um, but it's a great system to work from um, because it gives you a framework. And I'm a big believer in you learn the rules and then you can break them. That's right. <laughs> you you mentioned earlier when before we started recording about how this thought process really looks at inclusivity yes. beyond just gender and stereotypical body type. Right. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so and that's really how I got to the skeleton. Um and um you know, I am frequently challenged by people about, you know, sizing to using sizing tables and that those are not real numbers and blah, blah, blah. And they aren't. And, you know, like I know how to tweak things to fit me. I know how to tweak things. You know, I have a, a set of sizing tables that I use that I created that are a little bit more generous than the ASTM standards because I look around and I see that people are not as perfectly formed as we would like. So then as there's more discussion about 
different genders and um, just differentness, I really started thinking about how can I address that beyond just the standard sizing. And so that was when I kind of got to the skeleton. So let's say you're a trans person who has begun their life female and chosen to go the direction of being male. So there are things that happen to your body that you can't change. And although you can take hormones and do a lot of things, your structure is pretty much set unless that was the whole process stopped before puberty. Um, so you may have big shoulders and you might have narrower hips. Or if you went the other way, you may have bigger hips and smaller shoulders, but you've put in some hormones and now you're putting on muscle mass differently. So I was, I've really been thinking about how do you create sizing that allows for that type of difference or, you know, people who have just put on more weight or their genetics led them to not have a waistline. That would happen to be me. Um, <laughs> you know, we all, a lot of it is just learning to work around you know, saying, okay, so that's what the standard is. I'm over here. I'm going to make these adjustments so that I can make it fit me. And, and I have been tall since early junior high and always had to adjust things. And like I say, I don't have a waist. So I was always making things with a bigger waistline. Uh, my hips tend to be a little smaller, you know, but I've just always done that automatically. So I started working with my system of grading and seeing if I could figure out how to make things so that you could put in different numbers and get different results. And so I had this wonderful student last year in ASOG. And at the end of our 15 weeks, um, I asked her if she would like to be my paid intern. Um, and so she's been working with me since August. And she has much better um, mathematical skills than I have. <laughs> And she's much more linear, so she's much happier in Excel than I am. Um, so she's been building these incredible workbooks. And we can now do garments where you put in your own measurements and your own gauge size. And that's exciting. It's that's very exciting. exciting. Um, wow. I cannot tell you how much work it is. Um, <laughs> so we've been working on making it so that we can, you know, cut and paste and recreate. Um, and I'm, I'm really totally excited about this. Um, and we'll, I will probably be doing a test net here shortly with the first garment that we have. 
And that garment, the the size that I wrote or the gauge that I wrote it in goes from, I think, a size 31 to a 67-inch bust. And there's 19 wow. sizes. And then it will also have the custom version. And in this process, <laughs> I also created two new sizing frameworks um, which I call the inverted triangle and the triangle. So really looking at the um, skeleton. And my intern has, apparently, she lives in Ottawa. We've never seen each other except on Zoom. Um, she says she has really big hips for her size. And so we started with that idea like how can she make what i design which is for somebody with a less hip and we came up with the sizing table which worked across all the sizes and then i said well what about the poor gal who's got like a huge bust or the person who's got big shoulders for whatever reasons and how can we address that so I now have three sizing tables, only one of which is publicly available. Um, they're both available, or they're all available um, in both standard and plus size ranges. I am not doing men because you can change it if you you can put in your own measurements. So um, I am bored by men's clothes. So. <laughs> And their arms are too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking to Denise, whose husband is what, six four? <laughs> no, he's six, almost six seven. Six seven. Yeah, that's th right. those that's arms right. would never get a sleeve from me. <laughs> his uh, his suit jacket size is a fifty two long. Yikes. So <laughs> yeah, he's really watch, really really broad shoulders. Yeah, so anyhow, that's. <laughs> That's my classes. And then I have some fun things on Teachable like Knitter's Math and um, other little things. They're, they are generally free or, you know, 50 bucks for a short session of classes. Um, but classes are a lot of work. And so I'm always far ahead on my ideas than I am in my actual practice. <laughs> Gotcha. You talked, you touched on your size charts a little bit. Yes. You've, you've developed these additional size charts. I know you've got the free sets right. that are on your, your blog. As a matter of fact, I've sent a couple of designers in that direction because I really like those charts. What, how did you develop those charts initially so there is an organization called astm.org and i'm going to get down my book here um i can never remember exactly what it stands for neither can and I. and now it's just <laughs> astm they don't even tell you what it is so um well, it's nice like one. american sizing something no it's it's it has nothing to do with sizing actually it's standards really standards, standards. So, american standards. Standards. i mean you can also yes. get the standards from them for radial tires actually it's neither it's the american society for testing and materials 
Oh, they, yes. they cover everything. Um, gotcha. And I will, if, if you send me an email, I will give you the link. They have a book that has, um, men's, women's, and let's see, what does it have in it? Children's, females, w- older women, girls, mature men, boys, maternity and petites i think um just out of curiosity what's the year that you're referring to that book as coming from because i think they may have changed what comes yeah that's the standard so mine is 2015 it's still the best deal you can buy the individual sizing charts um and they cost fifty dollars a piece Yep. So right. if you get the And then book, they do have additional ones now for plus sizing and that sort of thing. So, and so that's where I started because that's what they use in the design world. And although we know that every company has their own measurements, they all kind of start here and then they adjust it for who they think their customer is. Um, so it's the most comprehensive tables of measurements it comes in both inches and centimeters um so i just looked at them and said okay so i think people's waists are bigger than that so i'm going to pad those out a little bit and i didn't change them a lot and you know like waistlines don't really worry me because in knitting we don't focus on them but so i just adjusted those And um, then I have some of my own ideas about some of the measurements in there. And rather than change those measurements, like I think their shoulder width is much too big, I treat it as negative ease when I'm creating a pattern. So if it says that for a size 10, the shoulder width is... 14.5 inches um, and I want my garment to sit three quarters of an inch inside that outside bone then I take an inch and a half of ease off uh, that measurement and I do the same thing in a couple of places where I think it's almost more of a judgment call on how the garment is going to fit and so I don't really care what they say I'm I'm going to get to that number because my experience and um, what I know tells me what I want to do. Um, so that's how the tables were made. And that's where I started to create my triangular bodies. It's not perfect. Um, it hasn't, they have not, upgraded those numbers the way they should because nobody wants to pay for it and you know it's like everything else we just rush to the lowest common denominator and trust me walmart ain't paying for sizing Mm -hmm. tables um Mm -hmm. so that's where i started okay great um we're gonna have denise move us away from grading a little bit and ask her next question. 
Well, Jill, I think I'm already going to know the answer to this question. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but I think I'm going to ask it anyway. We It's something we ask yeah. most of the designers that we talk to. So uh, have you ever thought about not continuing to design or teach? I mean, like retiring, retiring? Yeah, so and whenever I bitch about money, people say, <laughs> well, do something else. And... You know, so at this point in my life, I don't know how to do anything else. Um, this is <laughs> right. what I do. I do sometimes think, like, why do you care about doing this? And um, my answer to myself is, A, I've got the best job in the world because I wake <laughs> up and I am thinking about the things I'm going to get to do that day. And, you know, like last night, yeah, maybe it was last night, I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about <clears throat> marketing, which bane of my existence. Um, you and me both. And, you know, I thought about projects that were working. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if I'm walking down the street and I got nothing else to think about. I'll think about some little project I have going or what am I going to do with that yarn? Um, my husband retired and I am working on kind of restructuring so that I have more flexibility. Um, it's been very hard for me to think about not having 50 projects going at once. Um, Yay, someone else. <laughs> Yay. And I am not, sh I do not know when I'm going to quit doing it, but I don't see that happening. I love it. And I mean, I love it too, as just a knitter. And, um, you know, I love making swatches and seeing what yarn does. And, you know, I'm, I always have things that I'm working on, it's usually simpler, less complex projects. I do half-size samples for my classes. So, yeah, I don't see it happening. <laughs> well, with that being said, <laughs> then... What do you have waiting in the wings, like your next project, your next design, yeah. any upcoming classes, things yeah, like that? Yeah, so I am really trying to focus on marketing because um, nobody's signing up for my very expensive grading class. Um, and I found when I'm, I'm also always trying to just clear stuff out of my office I have not nearly enough space so I'm trying to let go of the things that I'm probably never going to get to um, and I found a proposal that I had done for some designs but never submitted any place and it's three years old maybe four years old and I saw it and I got so excited about what <laughs> <laughs> so that is getting moved around my desk um i'm finishing up this very long project that i worked on called the amalfi collection and um so i'm trying to wrap that up so i can move ahead jamie and i are 
have all of these pattern calculators brewing and um yeah and my 50 projects yeah it sounds like you have a lot of plates spinning and yeah so retirement is just sadly (laughs) i am also you know inclined to drop a plate occasionally so um (laughs) And then you find it underneath a bunch of other yeah, things, right? Okay. And, you know, I, I'm really trying to not let myself just run after every idea, um, yeah. which is so hard. <laughs> well, Jill, so speaking of all of that, and you t- mentioned marketing, <laughs> and all that, let, tell us right now so our listeners can hear you. Where can our listeners generally find you? Yeah, so I have a website called jillwolcottknits.com, all of one word. And um, everything, I've got a blog that I tend to get up every other week. They can sign up for my newsletter called The Inside Scoop. Um, if they're on Instagram, I'm Jill Wolcott Knits. I'm pretty much Jill Wolcott Knits every place, except on Twitter, where I don't have an S at the end because of characters. And um, and on Twitter, I simply post things. I can't stand to go there. It's just... Ugh. I know. I just renewed my yeah. account. I know. It's- I refuse to ever start a yeah. Twitter account. That's how... And <laughs> when you're marketing, it's yeah, important. So though, every right? every place I'm Jill Woolcott knits. I think on Ravelry it's Jill Woolcott Hyphen knits. Um, but that's how you can find me. I am most active on Instagram um, because I like that. I check Facebook all the time, but I find it less satisfying. Um, but that said, social media is not a place I hang out a lot. People might wonder what I do all day long. I stare at a computer like everybody else um, <laughs> because I'm creating spreadsheets or writing patterns. Um, Lisa understands yeah. that. <laughs> so um, I do Instagram in the evening. I have an automatic scheduler that publishes posts. Uh, for me on all the other platforms. Instagram is the only one that I have to personally do. Um, and that's kind of what I do for marketing. And um, yeah, I know it's not enough. Well, uh, all of your links, thankfully, <laughs> Jill has already shared those with me. Yeah. So they will all be in the show notes. It'll be really easy for our listeners to go there and find you. And if anybody wants to email me, you can always reach me at jill at jillwolcottknits.com. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it's a nice, easy <laughs> one to remember. It and <laughs> I am the only person who answers those emails. So you will get me. Oh, and she answers very quickly, I too. I will let you know that about six or seven months ago now, I emailed her about the grading class and then ended up not being able to take it in the fall. But she answered me in like 24 hours. Oh, yeah. It was just really fast and really, and and I knew it was personally from her, too. It was really great. 
So yes, all of that will be in the show notes. So our listeners can find you. We have one last question. We like to ask all of our designers because we are here for budding designers and new people who think maybe they want to invest time into designing. So our very last question to you, Jill, is what advice would you give a new or budding designer? So I should know that off the tip of my tongue, but (laughs) I'm actually really thinking about it contextually. Right now, it's a crazy crowded market. Um, and people enter it at a lot of different levels and with a lot of different levels of success. Now I've been doing this, you know, for like a thousand years and I, because (laughs) I'm not interested in marketing, I am not as successful as I could be. I am doing exactly what I want to do. Um, I have somebody who makes sure that I have food and shelter. Um, so (laughs) I don't have to worry about that. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. That said, if you want to do it, it's also relatively easy to break in. Um, I have mentored people, um, I would have been too shy to ask anyone to mentor me. Um, I am basically an introvert, although obviously I can talk forever. Um, (laughs) So I would say that a lot of people are really generous and find people who will help you, who can maybe answer questions for you. Um, do not be embarrassed that you don't know everything. Um, don't look at what other people are doing and f- mm, feel amen. like that is what you should be doing um, unless you are doing this because you want to be a follower. I have what my grandmother called the courage of my convictions, and I am perfectly happy marching to my own drummer. But that said, I belong to three or four groups that provide me with a place to vent, um, that give me support about things that I need to be supported on. Um, Right now I'm working with another gal who's a quilter, and we meet every Thursday at 5 o'clock on Zoom and we spend an hour together writing quietly just so that we have that focus time. And, you know, we start by saying, I'm going to work on this. And at the end we say what we did and yeah. And she almost always scares me when she announces (laughs) that time is up. So, (laughs) um, But for me where I've got so many things going, it's often hard to, sit down and work on my book. So, you know, you, you just have to look for support where you can find it. Know that oh, the other thing I love about my job is I am always learning new things. And Correct. every day 
is an opportunity to either try out something that I've learned in the past or to find a new way to do something. And to me, there's just no other way to live. Um, and I wish I felt the same way about marketing. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> well, Jill, I know that Denise joins me in saying we totally appreciate you oh, being thank here. You. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I know that our listeners are going to gain a great deal. So thank you. And just think about that pattern I'm, writing I'm class, because to. let me tell you, I really think that that one would do cool. well. <laughs> <laughs> As a tech yeah. editor, I know there's a lot of people out there that could really benefit. May and maybe Lisa could market yeah. it for you. I'm just saying. Totally. Yeah. That would be awesome. Well, I, I certainly wouldn't stay quiet about it. That's for sure. I know. That's why I'm saying that. I mean, I already tell people about our grading class all the time, and I haven't I even taken it yet. So, hey. Yeah, what could I so say? that's the other thing is that... Although there can be a lot of negative energy in this industry, there's also a lot of support. And, um, you know, I'm always happy to support people. And it's wonderful to feel like you're being supported by other people. Another thing that just occurred to me is the Creative um, Industry Alliance, um, CIA. Org. Um, join that. That is actually the Creative Industry Alliance.org. You can find it in the show notes. Because it is like minded people. You can often find people who are in you know, similar industries, so you're not necessarily talking to your competitors if you're not comfortable doing that. I mean, that's where I met this gal that I'm writing with. Um, so we have a similar goal. We're not competing against each other. We can just totally support each other. Plus that they have lots of really good resources. Excellent. You Thank bet. You so Thank much. you. Jill has been kind enough to offer our listeners a coupon code for classes or patterns. Please check out our show notes in our Facebook or Ravelry group. Or sign up for the podcast newsletter on my website at arcticedits.com. Don't forget to hit follow or subscribe and join us for episode 9 when we share a big announcement. So, just to wrap up, remember you can reach us through our Facebook or our Ravelry group at our email at knitdesignedit at gmail.com and if you would like to learn more about tech editing or grading or other services that I provide, please visit my website at arcticedits.com.